This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So this segment is what is it? It's entitled, What Happens If I File from Bankruptcy? We're going to learn about the impacts of declaring personal bankruptcy in this province. And Blair's going to explain how bankruptcy works, which is going to be good information if you don't already know or have some questions around it, and some of the key ways that personal bankruptcy does and doesn't affect you. So I like that part, Blair. You're, you're probably going to dispel some, some myths that we have about bankruptcy as well in this province. Well, there's a ton of those, that, that's for sure. It's not exclusive to, to BC, just about anywhere. When you say the word bankruptcy, um, you know, people have just a conception in their mind of what that means. Uh, and we've got a great YouTube video with the title, Bankruptcy, It's Not As Bad As You Think. And that's generally true for most people. So I'm happy today we're going to go through and give a little bit more detail. And I think a lot of the listeners will say, yeah, this bankruptcy process, it's not something that I want to do. It's not a first option, first thing you do. It's, it's your last resort if nothing else works, but it's not as severe, not permanent, uh, not as life altering negatively, more positively than most people do think. Okay. And before we get started, just another bit of a question. I know we're going to talk about, or you're going to talk about the bankruptcy process in Canada and what it involves. Is it different province to province or there's some, so many similarities that we sort of talk about it on a national level? Yeah, it's more similar than different. So bankruptcy in Canada is governed under federal law. So theoretically, it's the same everywhere with the exception of Quebec, which has their own their own uh, civil code. Uh, province to province, it varies a little bit, mainly in which assets are protected. So BC has some great exemptions if someone files for bankruptcy. One of the myths myths is that you lose everything. The truth is the province protects many of your assets. So we're going to talk about that as we go through. So it's generally the same as the same law, but there are some provincial variations. So it's important you obviously get the right advice for whatever jurisdiction you're in. Cool. Well, let's get started. So let's start off. uh, If you can explain the process, the actual bankruptcy process in Canada and what it involves. Sure. So if you're struggling with too much debt, debt that you just can't manage, bankruptcy is one of two legal remedies that are available enshrined in Canadian law to help you deal with that debt and get a financial fresh start. So bankruptcy gives you the ability to eliminate virtually all of your debt and get protection from your creditors. And that protection can just be huge because oftentimes if someone has a bunch of debt that they're not paying, they might be getting called you know, 10 times a day, they might have their wages seized, a bunch of threats against them. So when you go into bankruptcy, you often get to breathe a large sigh of relief that you've got some protection now, the law is stepping in to say, you know, here's the new rules of the game when someone's in bankruptcy, here's what can and can't happen. What's important for people to know too is you don't need permission from your creditors to file for bankruptcy and you don't need to apply to court. It's not the case that there's a big uncertainty. Will you be approved for bankruptcy? Is someone going to say, oh no, you don't, you're not entitled to this remedy. Uh, the eligibility is just that you have to owe more than a thousand dollars, which is a very low bar. And that hasn't changed since this law was written in the, around the great depression, almost a hundred years ago, but you have to owe more than a thousand dollars and you have to be insolvent. And the term insolvent means that you're just not able to pay your debts as they become due. So it might be the case. You've got a ton of debt. It well exceeds your assets. 
there's no way even if you sold everything, uh, you'd be able to pay your debts. Or it could be that you've got a lot of debt or sorry, a lot of assets, but it's all tied up in a house and you really don't want to sell that house. Um, so in that way, you're insolvent because you're not able to pay your, your bills as they become due. Um, so once you file for bankruptcy, a licensed insolvency trustee is the person that you're going to work with. They're going to prepare bankruptcy documents to sign together and make the process official. Uh, if it's an urgent situation, meaning you've been sued for a debt, your wages are being seized, or you know you just need that relief very quickly, it's possible for a bankruptcy to get started in as little as 24 hours. Uh, for the most part, it's a series of meetings, usually over a two to three week process from when someone comes in the door. Uh, we just discover their whole situation, explain to them all of the options. And then if they choose to do a bankruptcy, we get the documents prepared from there. Uh, one final point here is that people often think, okay, what do I have to do while I'm in bankruptcy? Because the whole idea is you file for bankruptcy, you're in bankruptcy for a period of time, you do some work to restructure yourself, and then you exit bankruptcy and all the debt gets left behind and you've got a fresh financial start. Uh, the main things that you have to do, none of these are, are insurmountable or exceptionally onerous. And that's like, there's actually a lot of good points to taking these duties. Uh, the main thing you have to do while you're in bankruptcy is you have to keep a monthly budget. So you have to show what's the income that your household earned and where is that money going. And if you're not making a bunch of debt payments, hopefully your household budget is looking a whole lot better than it was before and you're able to live within your means each month. So part of bankruptcy has a bit of a financial rehabilitation component. And the way we do that is we get every client to keep a monthly budget. And then we review that as part of another duty in bankruptcy is to attend two private financial counseling sessions. So these aren't group sessions where, you know, you're held up in front and gee, here's your situation. You could have made different different decisions nothing like that it's supportive non-judgmental empathetic counselor who on a private one-on-one -on -one basis at least two times during the bankruptcy is going to sit down with you understand what circumstances conspire to get you in this situation and then what do you do in the future so you can try to avoid rebuild your credit uh, achieve some financial goals so each month you'll keep a budget you'll attend some financial counseling sessions most of the rest you're going to do without thinking much about it you know you'll keep the trustee informed about your address. You'll give us information to file your taxes. And then in terms of bankruptcy payments, uh, if you're considered low income, you make a minimum payment in the bankruptcy. It's usually $200 a month for a nine month period. A lot of people are surprised to learn bankruptcy can be over in nine months, but that is the case for about 80% of people. If you're not low income, uh, then the payment is scaled based on your income and your household family size. So in a very quick nutshell, that's what bankruptcy means in Canada. It's usually a lot less severe than most people think. No, that's excellent. Um, and before we go any further, I just want to remind folks that if you already know, or if just listening to Blair talk, that this is the kind of action you want to take, or you want to take some sort of action to deal with your debt, uh, and and the one, one way to do that, the only way if it's bankruptcy and a consumer proposal, which you'll hear about as well, is talking to a licensed insolvency trustee, you can set up that appointment uh, at Sands & Associates. And here's the number. It's 1-800-661-3030. Or go Go to the website sands-trustee.com. So the next question, Blair, is what are some of the outcomes uh, for folks when they declare personal bankruptcy? Right. And as we said earlier, you know, nobody 
jumps into bankruptcy as, you know, here's the first option of what we can do. Um, generally, it's the last option when you're feeling very stressed out and other things haven't worked. But immediately when you file for bankruptcy, you get some pretty welcome relief. Um, you get the ability to really breathe again, to stop all of these collection calls, stop all of these debt actions. And the most powerful thing is that bankruptcy can eliminate virtually all types of debt uh, with full debt forgiveness possible for debts that could include, and this isn't the entire list, but, you know, pretty dominant here, uh, consumer and business debts uh, from credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts, even payday loans, which we're seeing more and more. Uh, government debt, usually many people are quite surprised to hear that a bankruptcy can deal with debts for income taxes, for GST. We're seeing a ton about CERB overpayments, so the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. If you have a tax bill because of that, a bankruptcy would eliminate it, even student loans and ICBC debts as well. Uh, if you had a shortfall because you financed a vehicle or a house that was sold at a loss, um, that could be dealt with in a bankruptcy, uh, as well as any debts you might have personally guaranteed for somebody else, or even debts that you owe somebody else personally. Maybe you've borrowed from a friend or family member, uh, and your understanding is, well, that's a private debt. A bankruptcy can't help with that. No, a bankruptcy can deal with virtually every debt. And the whole idea is that you get a fresh financial start, that when you come out the other side of the bankruptcy, nothing is hanging around your neck that's going to drag you down. Down. Uh, as I mentioned before, once you file for bankruptcy, your creditors are no longer able to continue contacting you for payments and they can't take any collection activities against you. So the debts are frozen as of the day you file for bankruptcy. No further interest can be added. All the collection letters, the calls, the texts, the harassment, all of that comes to a grinding halt. And if you had been sued or having your wages seized or anything like that, any assets in jeopardy, all of that gets stopped immediately. And if it hasn't started yet, it's not allowed to start. So that whole idea of protection, you get to breathe again to restructure yourself and come out the other side of the bankruptcy. That's the objective here. Um, a lot of people hesitate to file a bankruptcy because they've got some misconceptions. They think, you know, bankruptcy is the end of their financial life. They'll never recover from it. You know, a very common one is most people think, well, I'm going to lose everything that I have, all of my assets, all the furniture in my house. Sometimes, you know, even think they're firstborn, things like that. Uh, and the reality is going through a bankruptcy, just about everybody is able to keep all of their assets. And in fact, they get additional protection when they file a bankruptcy proceeding because there are provincial exemptions, basically provincial laws that say, even if you file for bankruptcy, you need to retain assets to reestablish yourself after. So things like your household furniture, your clothing, uh, a vehicle, even home equity, even your RRSPs and all pension plans, those are all protected assets if you file for bankruptcy. So you might be getting a ton of collection calls every day thinking you've got to cash in your RRSPs to pay these debts off. You file for bankruptcy, you can protect those RRSPs, get that fresh start that you need. Excellent. Now, in the in the remaining time that we've got, I sort of jumped the gun when I mentioned a consumer proposal. Can we talk about that as being the second option for folks if bankruptcy doesn't quite fit the bill, then a consumer proposal will and and some yeah. just briefly outline some things that that might help might give somebody uh, some hope if bankruptcy isn't their thing. Oh, absolutely. I love, I love nothing more than talking about consumer yeah. proposals. And what's fascinating, too, is so many people come to see us and they think bankruptcy is all that we can offer. Um, of the people that come to see us, 85% of them do not file a bankruptcy. They actually file a consumer proposal instead. And that's a number that's increased dramatically in the last few years. It used to be about 60, 65%. Now it's, again, a very strong majority. 85% of people file this thing called a consumer proposal. Well, what is a consumer proposal? Well, a consumer proposal is an alternative 
alternative to bankruptcy, and it's meant to be a win-win. So the win to your creditors is you offer them a partial repayment back on the debt, usually in the range of 20 to 40% of the debt outstanding, maybe a little higher or lower. Uh, the win to you is you avoid the bankruptcy altogether. So when you offer a consumer proposal, you're saying to your creditors, I could file bankruptcy tomorrow, and you couldn't reject it. You'd have no ability to contest this proceeding, and you might end up with maybe zero recovered on the debt, maybe five or 10 cents on the dollar. I'd prefer not to file that bankruptcy and you'd prefer to get more money back on your debt, right? So if we offer you a consumer proposal for something around 20 or 30 cents on the dollar, it's payable on a term up to five years on monthly payments. You don't have to qualify with a credit rating or borrow any money. And it's the same trustee that can help you file a bankruptcy is the same trustee that can help you avoid that bankruptcy by filing a consumer proposal. So I often say it's the most powerful debt solution that you may have never have heard of. If you listen to this show at all, you've definitely heard of it because I believe it's my life's work to make people aware, uh, but it's such a powerful alternative and people should definitely consider that if you're contemplating a bankruptcy, your trustee is also going to see if we can help avoid that by helping you with a consumer proposal. So here's the deal, folks. It, bankruptcy or consumer proposal, those are two of many options uh, that Blair and his team of uh, debt specialists and licensed insolvency trustees right across the province, they're almost in every town in, in British Columbia now, uh, they're the ones to sit down with and talk to and work out the best solution for you. Uh, for any information, I want to give you the website again. It's sands-trustee.com. It's a terrific website for questions and really, really good answers. Or give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. So we're going to answer a, a question, an age-old question. Let's pretend that it is an age-old question. And it kind of is. I mean, debt consolidation, uh, that concept's been around for a long time. Certainly bankruptcy has been around for a long time. So what Blair's going to do in this segment is weigh those two. Is it better to go bankrupt or do debt consolidation? So this is the criteria if you're struggling to decide whether to consolidate your debt or file for bankruptcy, uh, Blair's going to take us through some very key considerations that will help you weigh between borrowing, more borrowing or bankruptcy, as well as the third option that uh, can sometimes offer the best of both. So let's start with debt consolidation, Blair, something I feel like has been around for a long time, at least the term is. What are some of the pros and cons to weigh when it comes to uh, debt consolidation? Yeah, thank you, Elaine. It's such an important topic because just about everybody that we meet with at Sands and Associates, one of their first things they try to do when they find themselves struggling with debt is to try to consolidate that debt, to put it all together and reduce the interest rate. And let's spend a couple minutes just, you know, from a definition point of view, what are we talking about when we talk about debt consolidation? So most of the time, we're talking about something that you do with a lender, and it follows a basic concept that you borrow a lump sum amount from one lender. Maybe it's a new bank you haven't dealt with before or an existing bank that has one of your debts. So you borrow a bunch of money from them and you use these borrowed funds to pay off multiple other debts. So there's a number of ways that you could do this. Some of the common ways that you would do this through a lender would be a debt consolidation loan or even a home equity loan. 
Uh, sometimes it's a loan line of credit or an overdraft, or sometimes it's a balance transfer to a credit card. Uh, regardless of how you actually consolidate the debt, the advantages that you're trying to achieve here, uh, first off, is you're trying to simplify things. So you're going to have fewer monthly debt payments to juggle. You might have three or four or more different small bills each month. So putting them together, it's one due date, one payment that you can put into your budget. Life is more simple that way. Um, ideally, you're going to free up your monthly cash flow and be able to save some money in the long term because the whole point typically to consolidating is you want to reduce that interest rate. So you might have a bunch of debt that's at a very high interest rate. And if you're able to achieve a lower interest rate on your consolidation loan, well, then you're ahead on a monthly basis on, on a cash basis. Uh, and then you can generally have a clear timeline as when you're going to be paid off those consolidation loans. So a lot of consolidation loans are for a specific period of time. It's not the never, never plan. You might be on with a credit card where it's, hey, you make the minimum payment and it's going to be debt decades before you start to see yourself debt free. So with a consolidation loan, it can be a more clear timeline. So those are some of the advantages. Well, what are the downsides? Well, it's really difficult to qualify for a consolidation loan, especially at really good interest rates, something that's going to help you solve the problem. Uh, you usually need to be able to prove that you have stable income and a high credit score. Um, and even those two factors might not be enough uh, for a bank to decide to take a risk because you know if that bank is going to be advancing their money, paying everybody off in full, they're going to want to have some assurances that that loan is going to get repaid. So sometimes a consolidation loan can only be approved if you're going to actually pledge an asset as security. Sometimes it's a vehicle, uh, sometimes it's an investment or something else, or what can be even more troublesome and definitely more emotional. Uh, sometimes they want to guarantee by a cosigner, uh, which we've talked a lot in the past about, you know, when is it wise to cosign or to ask someone to cosign your debt almost never is this a good idea you add a whole extra layer of emotion if you ever can't make those cosigned payments um, those those consolidation payments your cosigner can be on the hook completely uh, and then in the future if you decide you need to restructure your debts maybe in a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal you often feel limited in doing that because you know that cosigner is going to be on the hook so you've got to be really careful if you're only able to get a approved for a consolidation loan by adding a cosigner, you might be adding more risk than there is benefits there. Uh, you know, another factor to consider is that the monthly payments and the cost of borrowing can be very high. So the concept of debt consolidation is that you're going to save money on a lower interest rate, but you need to make sure you've looked all the fine print, done the math and uh, worked out the total cost of borrowing before you proceed. There's a number of new debt consolidators that I've seen in the last three, four years where they'll agree to consolidate a debt, but they'll do it at 39.9% interest or 49.9, wow. something that just seems almost criminal. It's not quite because over 50 is criminal. So they stay under that. Uh, but you do need to be careful if you're getting a consolidation loan. Are you actually saving money or are you increasing your interest rate? Uh, I've seen that just too many times at this point where people were focused on a monthly payment, but didn't actually understand understand how increased their costs were going to be in the long term over interest. Um, and then finally, you just want to make sure that the term of the consolidation loan is something reasonable. I would suggest nothing more than five years. Shorter than that is, is even better. Uh, I've seen terms of seven, eight, ten. It's even possible uh, to consolidate debts over a 25-year period if you decide to roll them into your mortgage and pay it off like everything else. And you can imagine paying off a consolidation loan for 25 years. That's a long time for you before you can start to move forward. Wow, is that ever? That's crazy, that, uh, that interest rate, though, Blair. Wow, mm -hmm. that is almost criminal. 
Um, well, yeah, so and, and it's, it yeah. really is. It's it's lender of last resort. So if you find that you're turned down by the banks, but you know you will be approved by you know this relatively new lender. I don't want to throw names out here, but folks will probably know if they start doing some research here. Uh, you definitely yeah. want to look at all the fine print because we're just seeing tons of this where people have done consolidation, thought they were doing the right thing, and just ended up with just an unmanageable interest charge each month. Wow, incredible. So before we get to the third option, uh, and you already know that you want to do something and you need to sit down with someone and talk about the best plan of action, whatever that might be, give Sands and Associates a call, sit down with someone and talk to talk to them about your next steps. 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number. Okay, Blair, another opportunity to talk about this third option uh, besides debt consolidation loans or bankruptcy. And I, I know it's one of your favorites. Definitely one of my favorites. It's the consumer proposal. And what's fascinating to me as a trustee and someone who also handles all of our, our online marketing is so many of our consumer proposal clients came looking for debt consolidation. They were either able to get a unable to get approved or only able to be approved that's something that just wasn't good for them but they didn't understand that a consumer proposal is another method of debt consolidation that you don't need to get approved for your credit rating is not a consideration at all and what's powerful in a consumer proposal is first off puts all your debts together so it's that same simplification just one monthly payment but what's hugely different is your interest rate is literally zero so not reduced down to something reasonable literally cut to zero on all of your debts and what's even more powerful than that um, is in a consolidation loan, of course, you have to pay back the 100% of the principal plus interest. In a consumer proposal, it's very rare that a proposal calls for 100% repayment of the debt. If there's someone that has, you know, very significant home equity and could pay the debts in full, a proposal might have to pay the debts off in full as well. But for the vast majority of individuals, a proposal can reduce the debt often by up to 80%. So it can be a huge difference between a very high consolidation payment that might go on for years and cost tens of thousands in interest to a consumer proposal, which by law can't extend beyond five years, by law has no interest whatsoever, and is based on your ability to pay, which is usually some fraction of the total amount outstanding. Uh, with a consumer proposal, you've got the same protection from your creditors as you would have in a bankruptcy, but it's not a bankruptcy. It doesn't reflect on your credit the same way. You never have to answer, yes, did you do a bankruptcy? No, you did a consumer proposal. You avoided a bankruptcy. So a lot of the times when people are weighing debt consolidation versus bankruptcy, the third option of a consumer proposal really merits a serious look as well. And I just want to throw in here before we go to the next question that a licensed insolvency trustee is the only one who can facilitate a consumer proposal. Don't let anybody else uh, suggest to you that it's something that they can do if they're not a licensed insolvency trustee. That's so true, Elaine, and it's so key because so many people, when they start to research, they get you know dragged down a rabbit hole of, oh, you need an advisor, you need a referral, you need someone to guide you through this. You don't need any of those things. You see a trustee for free at Sands & Associates. We file proposals with no payments up front in every case. So we'll work with you to structure the proposal. If we decide it's you know, a $250 a month proposal, we'll file it, and you just start making those payments the month after. So there's no big barrier to accessing this, um, this option, the big barrier is just knowing about it um, and you know having the the will to reach out for help exactly so let's go back to bankruptcy for a second Blair when might bank bankruptcy make more sense than debt consolidation or a consumer proposal 
You know, there's no single answer to when bankruptcy is best, but there's a number of factors that can kind of indicate whether someone's going to be able to be successful on a debt consolidation basis or if bankruptcy is a better option. It's going to give them more certainty and ability to complete the process because you don't want to get into a debt consolidation, you know, three or four years in and suddenly can't make the payments because it was never set up for success from the start. So when a bankruptcy might be best is if your income is very low or if it's very uncertain. If your income fluctuates considerably, maybe if it's not documented, or if, it, if it's considered low by lender standards, you might not be able to get approved for financing through a lender. You might be looking at more of the non-traditional lenders at very high interest rates. And even then, if your income does vary a lot or is quite low, especially in a current high inflationary environment, it just might not be a payment that you'll be able to make each month uh, without having to choose between you know food, heating, or debt payments. And we know exactly what's the right priorities to have there. So the income is very important important. Uh, sometimes if you don't have any assets, again, it can be really difficult to qualify for a debt consolidation loan because you'd be asked to pledge assets. If you don't have any, you can't do that. Uh, but it's also if you don't have any assets, well, bankruptcy can be that much easier of a proceeding. So most people keep all of their assets in a bankruptcy. But in some cases, you know, if someone has a significant investment or an RESP or something else like that, uh, you know, they might be asked to surrender that if they filed the bankruptcy. If you don't have those, uh, those types of assets, bankruptcy is that much more of a streamlined um, process to go through. But the biggest issue is just you have the consistent ability to repay a portion of your debt. Uh, if you can't see on your monthly budget that you could repay even you know a third or a quarter of your debt uh, on a monthly basis, that's a good indication that probably bankruptcy is a better option for you to consider. And uh, and we talked about SANS and Associates or Licensed Insolvency Trustees, the only people that can facilitate. Uh, well, I want to say that you'd want to facilitate, a, uh, that have to do, facilitate a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, debt consolidation. I mean, do you, uh, you guys don't even do that, do you? Well, no. So we don't lend any money. So as a right. trustee, we're right. not permitted to, you know, to be a lender. That would be an incompatible occupation. We wouldn't want to do that. But right. as part of our code of ethics, we have to be completely agnostic to whatever option a person chooses as long as it's best for them. So if someone sits down with us and we can see, well, they've got a good income. They potentially could qualify for debt consolidation. That's something we'll recommend that they explore. We'll give them some referrals. A lot of the time, people have already done that, have already been turned down. So we say, okay, you've tried that option. Here's a few others that we can do. Um, but if a trustee is your first call, you can, you can bet that the trustee would also explore debt consolidation options with you. Great. And that's really what I wanted to make sure and, and ask you about, because that's what I want people to do. I want you to be their first call because you're going to mm -hmm. give them all the options and work with them and, and figure out the best course of action to take. Uh, exactly. For information, again, with Sands and Associates, their website is sands-trustee.com. It's just filled with great information, questions and answers. If you want to give them a call, it's 1-800-661-3030. Should you be worried? That's what this segment's all about. We're going to talk about warning signs that should not be ignored. So how do you know that you're in trouble with your debt? We're going to talk about uh, key warning signs that we can learn that you should never ignore when it comes to your debt. Uh, consumers, of course, everybody's dodging more financial obstacles than ever. And it can be difficult to pinpoint when debt has shifted from sort of standard payment to bigger issues that need attention. So Blair's going to share some warning signs about problems debt that shouldn't be ignored and where you can go to get some help and some solutions. So Blair, you talk to people every day who've come to you for advice on managing their debt or, or know they're in trouble and need to take action. What would you say is the most common trigger that prompts 
folks to reach out, make that phone call, show up in your office or have a Zoom with you. Yeah, it, it's definitely, Elaine, it's not the case. It's a financial or calculated trigger. So there are very few people. There are some that, you know, calculate their debt to equity ratio and do a very detailed financial analysis. For the most part, the vast majority of people, it's they can feel it in their bones almost. They mm -hmm. feel overwhelming stress about their debt and their finances. And really simply, if you think you have a debt problem, my experience is you probably do. And you've probably been feeling this way for a long time and you should have reached out sooner, but at least you're reaching out now. So debt can be such a heavy burden for many people on many levels. A lot of the time we feel this big moral obligation, which, which is a good thing. Obviously, if we borrow money, we should do our best to repay it. But oftentimes circumstances intervene and we're not not kind to ourselves. We hold ourselves to a very unreasonable burden saying, well, I borrowed this, I must pay it back no matter what. And that can lead to huge manifestations of debt stress, uh, mental, physical, spiritual impacts, um, even impacting people to the point where they have serious depression and anxiety. Maybe they're off work, um, you know, serious um, issues in their interpersonal relationships. And what people need to know is that they're not alone. Um, Many people in at points in their life experience severe debt stress, and there are lots of solutions that can help you take back control. So you've really got to be honest with yourself, and you should seek support if any of the following are things that really um, categorize your daily life. So are you constantly worrying or thinking about your debt, just something that's always there, ever present? Are you having anxiety or desperation about your financial situation? You just don't know what to do. You can't see any hope about the future. And you feel like things are out of control. You feel helpless and, and hopeless. Um, so a lot of the times people are starting to feel that. They're flailing about, not sure what to do. That's just a big warning sign. It doesn't have to be that you're $100,000 in debt or your debt is 10 times your annual income. There's various different metrics that we, we can look at. But really, if you're feeling like you don't know what to do, you're feeling stressed out, that's the number one reason uh, why people should reach out for debt help. Uh, you know, the number two indication, you know, all, other than feeling stressed is just putting the problem aside, just deciding not to deal with it. Um, you can be uncertain about where you stand, or you might just feel too overwhelmed to put things together. Maybe you're procrastinating. You've stopped opening your mail. Um, I have people that bring in or definitely pre-COVID. Now we do a whole lot more over video, but I used to have people that would bring in, you know, stacks of unopened mail. We sit down and go through it together. And just as that stack grew and then it was almost taunting them from the corner of their office or, or their room saying, you know, I know you're not dealing with me. And every month the pile gets a little bit higher. So if you're avoiding adding up your account balances, if you're letting the correspondence stack up because you just can't bear to open it, or even more importantly, if you're starting to downplay or hide your situation from those that care about you most, maybe from your family or from your spouse, um, you know, that's a big indication that has probably reached a point where you'd benefit from at least having a supportive conversation with a good professional. And I, and you know, it's, it would be such a, a feeling of loneliness that I'm in mm -hmm. this situation, shame and loneliness, right? Nobody can help me. I've got myself in this predicament by myself you know, that whole uh, isolating thing that can happen for folks. It must be just horrible when they finally walk in the door or really good once they sit mm. down with you um, and start talking about this situation. Yeah. And, that, and that's such a gift that we have as licensed insolvency trustees at Sands and Associates is to be a part of that transformation and to be able to see it. Uh, literally, it's physical. So I can see people from the first day when they walked in my office, I can observe their posture, their body language, you know, just their general demeanor. And then my gosh, the transformation, even as soon as a few weeks later, when we flipped the script and we said, okay, we've got a proposal in place. This is something you can afford. You're facing the debt problem hands on. You could have done a bankruptcy. You decided to restructure things instead. Then 
people can get a whole lot of pride and move forward, but that feeling of embarrassment, uh, of shame. And that's why we focus so much on no matter what, we know everyone's entitled to live with dignity, with respect, and without the overwhelming stress of debt. So when people come in for a first meeting, that's usually the most uncertain they are about the process. As soon as they know the approach a trustee is going to take, um, they can already start to feel better. And some of those physical and emotional signs can start to get relieved almost after that first meeting. I've had people say they felt like they were walking on air, like we haven't really done anything yet, but just giving them the idea of what can be done some hope for the future that can be just a breath of fresh air for so many people and if Blair's just described you I'm going to give you the phone number for Sands and Associates it's 1-800-661-3030 the website also a way to contact the office and there's offices all over British Columbia now sands-trustee.com so what are some of the other common signs that it may be time to reconsider how you're managing debt Blair well, if you're always using credit, so if you're making payments on your debt each month, but also you're using your overdraft every single month, uh, you always seem to have to reach for your credit card between paydays uh, to cover any unanticipated expenses. Uh, maybe you're shuffling money from one credit product to another, getting a cash advance on one to pay a minimum on another. Uh, we've had clients refer to that as financial Tetris, just trying to just structure everything so it can go just another month forward. Um, you know, those are all big warning signs, as well as if you're regularly borrowing from family or friends, or if you're taking some of these, you know, last resort financings like a payday loan or like some of these new debt consolidation or installment loans, which can have really high interest rates, uh, those can be really big warning signs that, you know, although you're doing something, the activity that you're doing is not improving your debt situation. You may be just deteriorating further by accessing financing like that or just by continually being at the mercy of having to use credit every single month. So that's definitely a, a big warning sign. Uh, you know, one other thing that you want to do is really consider your budget. So you really want to look towards, you know, how much of your household budget is being spent on debt payments and is that sustainable? So if you're covering all of your debt payments each month, but it's at the expense of you not being able to provide for all of your household necessities or really skimping on, um, you know, food or, or medical care or different things like that, you know, that's not something sustainable for the long term. And if your budget isn't providing for any emergency savings or you're not able to afford, you know, the insurances that you would need, if you're a renter, you know, having contents insurance, that can be the difference um, between having your life completely disrupted if something happens or having all of your stuff replaced and having a place to stay during that. Um, you know, you really want to make sure your budget is prioritizing all the really important things for your life and not just prioritizing your debt payments each month. Excellent. Now, I know there's we've got a lot of information in this segment, but I really would like to sort of move ahead a little bit to the port to the part where you talk about. Um, and it's such a, it's so good because we know people sit on the fence and yeah. not sure what to do, when to jump off, when to stay, when to come up with another idea. So is there some advice that you can offer someone who who's listening to this segment right now, who's on the fence mm -hmm. about getting professional guidance in dealing with their debts? Well, of course. And we know why people delay because they tell us. We survey our client base every year for the last 10 years and it's very consistent. People don't reach out because they're determined to manage things independently. They think they can get out of this under their own steam. They got into it themselves. They get out of it themselves. Uh, sometimes they think there's no solution to their situation. They're just not aware of the other options. Sometimes they don't know where to seek help uh, or often what can be the most difficult is, again, they feel that embarrassment, that shame, and they're worried about being judged when they reach out for help that someone's going to talk to them about all the mistakes they made and how they should have done differently. And, you know, my advice is, as many of my clients have said, is just ask for the help. 
you know, the hardest step is just taking that first step, reaching out, making that phone call, submitting the inquiry online. We're going to take you take you through every step of the way side by side. Um, everyone that we have at Sands & Associates, respectful, compassionate. We're here because we want to help people get out of debt, whether that solution includes anything we can do or if there's other opportunities that don't include us, we'll tell you about everything. We just want to see you have a better tomorrow than the stressful debt today that you might be living with. So good. And, and you know, I've got to say over the years of working with Blair, I've met um, not a, a lot, but I've met a number of people who you work with and who work for Sands and & Associates. And they're just kind of caring people who actually are doing this work because they really want to, because the end result is they get to help somebody out who's in a financial situation that can't get out themselves. So I want you to keep that in mind. I also want you to keep it in mind the website. It's sands-trustee.com, where it's loads of good questions and answers answers, as well as good information for you to take the next step. And the phone number, it's 1-800-661-3030. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. So we're going to talk about avoiding the trap of minimum payments. And, I, you know, part of me thinks, oh, that sounds like such a good idea. That would sound like such a good idea to folks who are in debt to have a minimum payment. If I just pay this off every month, then eventually it'll be looked after. But we both know and lots of folks know that there's a much better way. So this segment's all about understanding the risks of making only minimum monthly payment on your debts and what you can do to pay off your debt faster. And of course, Blair, President, I just want to mention of BC's largest firm of licensed insolvency trustees is going to focus on debt help services for consumers. He's going to explain more and pretty much how you can break free from that minimum payment trap, which it can be for folks. So Blair, can you first start by helping us understand how minimum monthly payments work and why it's so risky to only make those kinds of payments? Yeah, certainly. So most people, they use their credit cards, you know, for day-to-day -day purchases, sometimes to cover an unanticipated expense. And with any sort of revolving credit, if you don't pay the balance in full, you start to incur some interest each month. Um, and then if you don't pay that in full each month, well, then they put you on a payment plan, essentially, where they know you're not going to be able to pay things in full this month. And that's okay, because every month that balance is just going to be kicked forward, extra interest charges, and you're going to be asked to make a minimum payment. And a lot of the times we have this assumption that, you know, this minimum payment, it's a reasonable amount of the debt. It's going to be me paying down the debt just by making minimums. I'm doing the right thing for me. Um, but when we actually look deeper at how minimum payments are calculated, uh, first off, it varies quite a bit from bank to bank. It can even vary from card to card within a bank. But very commonly, minimum payments are such that maybe 5 to 10% of what you're actually paying on the card each month is actually going to reduce the balance. Um, the the remainder of what you're paying is going to interest and fees, stuff that's just going to be charged again each month. So minimum payments are often structured as either a flat dollar amount, often as little as $10 plus interest or fees. So I know on one credit card that I have, regardless of the balance, they say my minimum payment will be interest, fees, and $10. So whatever amount of balance I have, it's going to go down by $10 each month if I'm just making the minimum payment. Um, sometimes it is structured as the higher of a dollar amount, so at least $10, um, or a percentage of your outstanding balance, you know, often 3%. Um, things are different in Quebec. Quebec has just done a big rewrite um, of their minimum payment rules to make it a lot more clear to consumers that, you know, if they're paying, making minimum payments, um, they've increased them so they will be out of debt sooner. But across the rest of Canada, it often is a very 
small amount of your minimum payment that actually goes to reduce your debt. And what's fascinating is on each credit card statement that you receive, it's been this way for more than 10 years, but still it can be buried on some statements. There has to be a disclosure that says how long will it take to pay off your credit card if you only make those minimum payments. And I got a few examples here and they're always jaw dropping to me. I hope the listeners find them interesting as well. But this is why we call it the minimum payment trap uh, because you think you're doing the right thing, but oftentimes you're just spinning your wheels and not moving ahead. So let's say there was $5,000 on a retail store credit card with a 29.9% interest rate. So not an extreme situation where someone would say, okay, this person needs to file for bankruptcy tomorrow, but enough of a situation where, okay, we want a plan to deal with this debt. If you're just going to make the minimum payments, you would be in debt for 50 years and four months. And on that $5,000 of debt, you would have paid $23,000 of interest. Isn't that shocking? That is shocking. And and that's if you just kept it to $5,000 and never used that mm -hmm. credit card again. Exactly. This is you not putting any new charges on it. And this might be for things that you bought long ago or getting no benefit for, yeah. but literally five decades from now, you could still be paying that off. And you might say, okay, well, you're crazy to have a 29.9% store interest yeah, store uh, credit card with that interest rate. Okay. Well, at a standard credit card interest rate of 18.9%, that $5,000 19 years and nine months. So sure, it's better than 50 years, but I don't want to be paying <laughs> off for 20 years. Uh, and you're still going to pay more than what you borrowed in interest. You'd still pay $5,300 of interest charges. And others might say, okay, well, what about a low rate interest card? You know, I, I've been smart. I phoned my bank. I got them to lower my interest rate down to 11.9. That $5,000 still 14 years and seven months and about $2,377 in interest. So it's just shocking when you sit down to do the math and realize that minimum payments are not designed to get you out of debt. They're designed to keep you in debt as long as possible and to maximize the amount of interest that you will eventually pay to the bank. Uh, what's the most counterintuitive part of this from my perspective as a financial professional is you making minimum payments each month is one of the best things you can do for your credit rating. Your credit rating generally looks great as long as you make your minimum payments over time. It doesn't always take into account whether you're actually ever going to pay back, pay down that debt. So oftentimes we have people People come in and they're very proud of a great credit rating. And we look and we say, well, yeah, if you continue on the 50-year plan, you'll probably keep that great credit rating, but at the expense of ever being able to save money, of having financial solvency. Um, so it usually can be very eye-opening when people start to look closely at their statements and realize just doing what they're doing is not getting them ahead. Not getting them ahead at all. I know we're going to talk about strategies to pay down your debt faster. I just want to throw in your phone number right now. 1-800-661-3030 is the phone number. Offices all over British Columbia. And sands-trustee.com is the website. Uh, just if, if your next step, you already know you're, you're in a bit of a, uh, you're in a bit of trouble and you want to take some action. That's how you talk to somebody from Sands and Associates and, and they'll help you there. So what are some of the strategies to consider paying down down the debts faster than what we've talked about, Blair. Yeah, a number of things that you can do. So, you know, one great thing, as I alluded to, is first off, talk to your lender about lowering your interest rates. So sometimes being at that 18.9, if you've made lots of payments on time for a long period of time, they might be agreeable to reducing that interest rate, which could save you a lot of money and reduce the time to pay off. Um, if you've tried that, whether it worked or not, you always want to focus on paying more than the minimum required and always pay on time, even as little as 5 to $10 extra. Um, you know, if we've said only $10 is going towards your debt, 
yet, even putting $10 extra, that might be doubling the impact that you're having on each of those minimum payments. So there's a number of strategies that you can do within your budget. Sometimes um, if you've got a number of credit cards, you might want to focus on paying the highest interest rate first. This is usually your best practice. So on a sheet of paper, you write down all of your credit balances, minimum payments, and interest rates. Of course, you have to pay all the minimums to stay current, but anything extra you have in your budget, I would throw 100% of that to the highest interest card. Uh, highest interest charge card just to try to reduce that one as soon as possible. Uh, sometimes people find they want to do a different uh, strategy where they call it, uh, you know, that one's the, the snowball effect. Sometimes people just want to eliminate the smallest debts first to build some momentum. So you might just look at clearing your smallest balances regardless of the interest charge. But either way, it all comes down to having a plan. And if you're sitting down and you're not sure that you can even cover all the minimums or you can't put anything extra beyond the minimum payments each month, that's just a big indication that you should should be having a discussion with a licensed insolvency trustee to see what other options are out there available to you. I think that's the best part too, is that you don't have to be in, in a catastrophic situation to make an appointment and talk to somebody from Sands and Associates. You can actually sit down with someone to say, okay, this is where it looks like I'm headed. Would you agree? And what can we do about it now? Any other tips about credit cards, Blair? Yeah, well, I think it's so important what you mentioned there, Elaine, that you, things don't have to be so dire that, you know, your wages are being seized the next day, the phone's ringing off the hook from collectors. Upwards of 70% of people who file a bankruptcy or make a consumer proposal actually have perfect credit. They've made all their payments on time. They look great to the banks, but they know that they're on the 20, 30, 40, 50 year plan and they need to do something different. So there's a lot of different strategies once you get things under control to make sure that you're not using the credit, um, you know, for things that you can't cover, to not move money around from credit card to credit card each month. But sometimes the situation is such that you just need the reset. You need to sit down with a trustee to reduce that balance. So you can start to move forward. And that's exactly what things like a consumer proposal can do. So it costs you nothing to figure out those options. Uh, and quite often a consumer proposal, if you were carrying a bunch of debts, your proposal payment might be less than the minimum payment just on one of those debts to deal with the entire situation. Excellent. So again, I'm going to give you the website, sands-trustee.com. Uh, you can go there. There's loads of uh, uh, pages that have got great questions and really, really good answers. If you've got some questions, if you want to go ahead and make a call, they've got offices all over British Columbia. It's 1-800-661-3030. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.